Good morning. Welcome to Highland Community Church. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, reminding you that this is a rotation for the next five weeks, so you want to kind of stay in one place. Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to learn from one of your creations, an ant, how not to be a sluggard, but to be productive, to be moving forward for your glory and your betterment and the advancement of your kingdom. Father, take your word, apply it to our lives. And where we need to confess and repent, may we do so. Where we are encouraged to take the next step, may we do so. Guide us this morning, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Probably all of you have heard Colonel Sanders. You know the name. He's the founder of what we know as Kentucky Fried Chicken. He was born in India, or Indiana, excuse me, in 1890. And he was given the non-military title, Colonel, early on, and he kept that the rest of his life. You know him. He's got the goatee and the white suit. What you may not know is he had a rough beginning. He grew up and his mom knew Christ, praise the Lord. And she probably shared the gospel with Colonel Sanders, although we don't know if he ever believed in Jesus. What we do know is that the home was particularly legalistic. And sometimes legalism drives the next generation away from the church. That probably happened in Colonel Sanders' life. His mom had a number of mantras. Mantras like, don't drink, don't chew, don't gamble, and don't whistle on Sundays. That whistling on Sundays really gets you in a lot of trouble. He had a jaded life because of what happened to his parental figures. While his mom was legal, his dad died when he was six. His mom remarried and the second father figure died shortly after. She remarried a, a third time and this particular man was harsh to Colonel Sanders. By age 13, he dropped out of school. He blamed algebra. What a tough childhood. He couldn't whistle on Sundays, and he had to have algebra. No wonder he was a rebellious teen. Well, at age 13, he walked away from his family, and he began a series of jobs. By all estimation, he was a very hard worker, although insubordinate and sometimes unwise. He was in the military and then honorably discharged. He served a number of corporations and railroads, working a lot of hard labor. He worked for the Michelin Tire Company. He had his own ferry boat company, but unfortunately the boat sank. He worked for Standard Oil, and all the while he perfected his secret recipe for chicken. It was while he was at Standard Oil that he began to sell that secret recipe, and in 1940, he opened up his first restaurant. He then tried to franchise that secret recipe. He tells us that he was persistent, hardworking. He was at it. 
but he received 1,009 rejections before he began to franchise the secret recipe, four cents per piece of chicken. He ended up getting 600 franchises to sell his secret recipe. Then he sold the recipe itself for two million, which is worth about $20 million today. He was 66 years old, living on a social security check of $105 before he began to franchise and sell that secret recipe and he kept pressing on. In his 80s, when he no longer had any connection to Kentucky Fried Chicken, he had heard that some of the franchisers were messing with the secret recipe. And so he would sneak in and he would try the chicken. And if he didn't like it, he'd throw it on the ground, throw a fit, and he'd say out loud to everyone, the gravy is like sludge with a wallpaper taste. It got so bad that the parent company in 1973 sued him for libel, but he won. At his death, this man who had a seventh grade education, but actually a law degree that he got at night school later on, this man had 6,000 franchises selling his secret recipe worth a sum of $6 billion. Maybe Colonel Sanders is not the nicest guy, but he was hardworking. He was never a sluggard. He was an ant. Let's look at what the Bible says about an ant. I want to pick up in Proverbs 6. Let's read verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armored man. Today's text is entitled The World's Smallest Preacher. It's the sermon by the ant. And ants are an incredible creature. In fact, we see lots of God's creation teaching us so much. Many have learned sonar from bats and improved sonar from bats. Olympians have had bathing suits created modeling after sharks so it has minimal friction. And here in the Bible, we are told to live not a sluggard life, but the industrious life of an ant. Now you may be surprised, but there are between 10 and 12,000 different species of ants. There is 10 quadrillion ants. That's like a one with 16 zeros. There are 1.7 million ants for every person on the face of the globe. An exterminator, he's, he or she has great job security. An ant can really carry the weight. We have this phrase, carry your weight. Well, an ant would say no, because an ant carries 10 to 50 times their weight. An ant is industrious. An ant willows and weeds. And an ant produces bread. It actually produces its own form of food. Ants often herd aphids and milk them. Ants are incredibly industrious. An ant often travels 400 feet 
from the nest four times a day based on the size of an ant compared to the size of a human, that would be like a human walking 68 miles every single day. I mean, that's serious cardio. And we are told to be industrious like an ant. In fact, the Bible says, don't be a sluggard. It's this this word in the Bible that a cell, it's found 14 times in the Proverbs, and it's not an industrious person, not a hardworking person, not a person to emulate or imitate. Instead, we are to be like an ant. Now think about what the Bible says about a sluggard. 14 times in the Proverbs, it says things like, verse 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? 14 times it says, don't be a sluggard. Pretty typical is Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will not seek at harvest and have nothing. Now, if you listen to that, it's very interesting. The sluggard does nothing. It's not planting the seeds. Uh, He's not watering. He's not weeding. He's not out there harvesting. And yet when the food comes in, the sluggard has her or his hands out. They want their share. What? They did nothing. They put nothing in it. And then they have an expectation that someone will provide for them. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 kind of talks about this expectation of no work and yet you provide for me. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now we're not talking about individuals who are in a part of the world where there may not be any jobs. We're not talking about individuals who have a physical or mental handicap that would prevent them from providing all that they need for themselves and their family. We're talking about individuals who could work harder, who could work longer, who could provide, but instead they reach out their hands for a benevolent help or from a government help And rather than putting the effort in, they expect others who have put in long hours to provide for them. Paul says, let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. If you're not going to work, you don't get to eat. The Bible is clear. You and I are to be industrious. We are to be hardworking. I love the way Paul puts it in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, Work heartily under the Lord, not under men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, the primary reason that we work hard is not to get a promotion. The primary reason we work hard is not to climb up the ladder, it's not for a bigger title. It's not for recognition. Those things are fine. They're secondary. I believe that if someone works hard, they ought to be rewarded. Absolutely believe that. But for a Christ follower, there is even a higher motivation than a bigger salary or a bigger job 
the higher or highest motivation is that we work heartily unto the Lord, not unto men. We ought to be the best workers around. If we know Christ, we ought to pour ourselves into our job. That doesn't mean that we're workaholics, but it does mean that when we're on the job, we're on the job. We're not fiddling with our phones. We're not arriving late and leaving early and taking extra coffee breaks and taking extra measures to make our job easier. We are the best, most industrious employees in the place. Now, I work with some amazing hard workers. Amazing. Ant-Man from that 2015 Marvel movie, it is nothing on the superheroes and sidekicks that I work with. Now, my coworkers are going to ask, well, who's the superheroes and who's the sidekicks? Actually, they're all superheroes. I just wanted their reaction. But kidding aside, ants are hardworking. Are you? Am I? Would the Lord call us a sluggard or an ant? He holds the ant up as the model of how you and I ought to live. Our work ethic ought to be like an ant. The second thing I see about an ant is they believe in delayed gratification. I think this is a phrase that really ought to be passed down to every generation. Delayed gratification. This is not a buy now, pay later. Enjoy now, work later. This is a we're going to put in the effort and then after we put in the effort, we'll enjoy the fruit of our labor. I love verse 8. She, Miss Ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now what this is telling me is this. An ant has all sorts of picnic opportunities, right? In the spring, in the summer, in the fall, they can crash all sorts of picnics. They can gorge themselves. But an ant doesn't do that. They eat what they need and they store up the rest for winter. Now ants in a location like ours burrow fairly far into the ground during winter. They, they escape the white stuff. They're pretty smart if you ask me. And yet they have stored up a lot of food. And although they're in a semi-hibernation state and need very little food, the truth is they have stored up the food. And you say, well, if they don't really need it, why do they have the food stored? Because the hibernation actually ends four to six weeks prior to the end of winter and prior to the ability to get food. And so then they have this food stored up to fill themselves up and to provide energy to get them to far into the spring. In other words, they don't gorge themselves. They don't have this buy now, pay later mentality, enjoy everything now and suffer later mentality. They have a delayed gratification for the future. I believe as Americans, we desperately need this. Let me read verse eight again. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. She prepares for the end game. Did you know that the average American adult has about $6,000 in credit card debt? $6,000. The average interest rate is 15.76%. That means that the average American is paying 
about $1,000 in interest on a credit card debt. What could you do with $1,000 that you're giving to someone else because you, I, have this mentality of buy now, pay later. The ant doesn't do that. The average American, I think it's probably higher here in central Wisconsin, but the average American owes almost $91,000. That's mortgage, car loan, personal loans, student loans, et cetera, about $91,000. Altogether, the average American is paying about $8,000 annually in interest. What could your family do with $8,000? What could the kingdom do with some of that $8,000? And yet we have become a slave to the lender because unlike the ant who prepares for the future, delays gratification, we believe that we need the bigger house now, the boat now, the camper now, the four-wheeler now. We believe we need the trip now, the recreation now. And we buy now and pay later. And we become, as the proverb says, a slave to the lender. We're told to be like an ant who prepares bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, what if you're already in debt? What do you do? Well, you look at your credit card debts or your interest-bearing debts and whatever is the highest interest, you pay it off first. And then the second, then the third. And you cut up those little plastic cards until you, I, can use them and always pay the entire balance off every single month. What if you're going to need a car in, in a few years from now? What do you do? You start making payments to yourself. So that when you go in, you buy a car with cash. So you're not making car payment interest payments to someone else. That buy now, pay later mentality. Contrary to the ant, we have such a poor model all over our globe, certainly within our country, where we mortgage the future and we have bonds leveraging our debt and we're placing our debt on the next and the next and the next generation. The Lord says be an ant. An ant delays gratification. It stores up food in the summer and prepares for the harvest. I think this principle applies to intimacy. We have so modeled a I get what I want now mentality that I think the next generations have applied that to intimacy. It only took God two chapters. Genesis 2, to say a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. The man and the boy and the world naked and not ashamed. That intimacy is between a husband and wife relationship, not prior to it. But we model, I've got to have what I want now and that slides into intimacy with the next generations and they're not waiting. What if that's you? What do you do? You confess, agree with God that that's not right. You repent, you turn from the sin and you begin a life 
of morality, delayed gratification, intimacy only after a husband-wife marriage relationship. Delayed gratification is in the spiritual realm. We don't replace our time of prayer and devotion with recreation. We don't replace our regular time of corporate worship with recreation. When we do that, we model not only for ourselves, but for the next generation, that we are not delaying gratification. God says be an ant. And an ant works all year long, delays gratification for the days ahead. It was back in 2004 when I shared in a sermon the marshmallow experiment. You probably know it anyway. It was done in the 1960s. The initial results were released in 1972. It was done by Stanford University. It was followed up by the University of Rochester, a similar test. And although the initial results from the 60s were released in 1972, they followed the same individuals who were a part of the experiment all the way to 2012, 40 years later. What is the marshmallow experiment? It was a series of four and five-year-olds, hundreds of them, that were individually put in a room and given a marshmallow. And there was a camera placed on them, and they were told that the adult was going to leave and would be back in 15 minutes. And if they didn't eat their marshmallow, they would get a second marshmallow. They would get two marshmallows, not one. And as soon as the adult left, some people looked at the marshmallow, some of the kids, four and five-year-olds, and they ate it. Others looked at the marshmallow, fidgeted, waited a while, and, and then 15 minutes was too long, they ate it. And then other kids waited all 15 minutes, and they were rewarded with the second marshmallow. Now these kids were followed for 40 years, and overwhelmingly, those who delayed gratification waited 15 minutes for a second marshmallow, had better jobs, higher grades, higher SAT, ACT scores. They used drugs and alcohol at a lower, more mature manner. They succeeded in life at a much higher rate. What did they do? They learned the principle of delayed gratification, doing their chores first, then enjoying fun, doing their homework first, then doing fun, doing their spiritual uh, disciplines first, and then going for recreation. Delayed gratification. It's the opposite of a sluggard. Let's just kind of review the verses. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. In other words, don't be a sluggard. Fourteen times we're told in the Proverbs that sluggards have a difficult life. They're not as productive. They're outside the will of God because they are lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Verse seven, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares. They don't need somebody over their shoulder. They work hard. They believe in Colossians 3.23. Work heartily unto the Lord, not unto men. And although they work for a corporation, they work for a boss, ultimately they're trying to please the Lord. That's a high calling for a Christ follower. Verses 9, 10, and 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Some are in poverty, no doubt due to circumstances. No doubt about that. But that's not what the text is referring to. It's referring to able-bodied individuals, adults, who rather than putting their hand to the plow are looking for a handout and consequently they're not becoming all that God desires. They're displeasing to the Lord and they're an unnecessary burden on others. God says, don't be a sluggard. Be an ant. I want to conclude with the the story, the account of Monty Roberts. Monty Roberts grew up in a home in which uh, his father was a ranch hand and they kind of went from one ranch to the next ranch to the next and they were always moving and because of this, uh, Monty was in sometimes up to three or four different school districts every single year. It was his senior year and uh, his teacher assigned everyone a paper, a seven-page paper. They were to write about what they wanted to be, their dream, when they grew up. Monty was excited. He knew exactly what he wanted to be. He wanted to be a rancher, but he didn't want to be a ranch hand. He wanted to own a small ranch, and he wanted to work the ranch. And he wrote all about it. He really put himself into this paper, and he handed the paper in with all the other students, and And a few days later, when he got his back, his heart sunk. There's a big F prominently placed on the paper. And he didn't understand why. And so uh, after the class, he very politely went up to the teacher and said, I really worked hard and, and I'm not sure what I did, but obviously it wasn't a very good paper. Why did I receive an F? And the teacher didn't say that the grammar was poor or it was stylistically poor. What she said was this. Your family has no money. Your father goes from town to town and place to place ranch hand. And because of that, you're never really going to amount to anything. Now, that's not the type of teachers I had. But unfortunately, Monty had this this unexceptional teacher. And then she said, I'll tell you what, Monty, I'll let you rewrite the paper. Write a more realistic dream of the future for yourself. And Monty took the paper and he went home and he talked to his dad. And his dad said, this is a very important moment in your life. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you this is pivotal. Think through carefully what you ought to do. And Monty thought about it for a day or two and then very politely, not arrogantly, he brought the paper back to the teacher and he said, I guess I have to keep the F because I got to keep my dreams. And he got an F. Fast forward. And Monty owns a 200-acre ranch with a 4,000-square-foot home. And in the family room, there is a mantle And over the mantle, there is a framed picture of his seven-page essay with a prominent F. Now, the dream is not a 200-acre ranch. That's neither here nor there. But he understood that he needed to put his hand to the plow 
that God had given him the ability to work hard, to be industrious, to provide for his family, to bring glory to God by how he utilized the time that God entrusted to him. And that's what the text is about. It's not really about getting the biggest job, the biggest paycheck, the biggest title. It's about utilizing what God has entrusted to us, working heartily unto the Lord, not unto men, to provide well for those who are dependent upon us, to utilize some of what God has given us to advance his kingdom, and to utilize the time and the talents he's entrusted to us for his glory. Ant on. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for the life of an ant, the model of an ant, the smallest preacher, and yet an eloquent message that we all need to apply. Father, help us to be industrious. Help us to learn delayed gratification. Help us to know that our work is much more than a paycheck, a title, or recognition. It is to work heartily unto you, to utilize what you have entrusted to us, and to utilize it well. Help us to imitate the ant. And Father, if we have sluggard tendencies in our lives, we pray that we would root those out, that we would confess those as sin, and the power of your Spirit turn from that sin and towards righteousness. Help us to utilize what you have entrusted to us well. Help us to live like a redeemed ant. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.